0: Welcome to Third Angle, where we meet the people behind some of the most fascinating design and engineering projects across the globe. I'm your host, Paul Haynes, from industrial software company PTC. In this podcast, we share the moments where digital transforms physical, And we meet the brilliant minds behind some of the most innovative products around the world, each powered by PTC technology. How do you craft a lightsaber that is fit for a Jedi? What is launch day like when you're sending a satellite into space? And how do you make cutting edge transport affordable to emerging markets? And is it possible to feel in a virtual world? These are just some of the questions we are answering in this episode as we revisit some of the most inspiring guests from the last 12 months of The Third Angle. The last 24 episodes have taken us many places, from a mission control centre near Milan to the pit lane at Silverstone. But first we're heading to Canada, where we meet Rob Petka from Genesis Custom Savers in his workshop just outside Calgary. He tells us about the detail that goes into crafting his lightsabers appreciated by Star Wars fans all around the world, and how his work celebrates creativity and imagination. I get asked all the time what my favorite saber is, and I have a hard time
1: answering with that one. I tell people it's because they're like my children. There are sabers I like for different reasons. I mean, I have what I would kind of have called years ago, my personal saber, which was part of this whole journey was if I was a Jedi, what would my lightsaber look like? And that's a lot of what resonates, I think, between me and and my customer base. So I have that saber that I developed, but I haven't touched it in years. It's old technology. Since then, I've played around with other ideas. I've got a couple that I really like. One of my production series sabers is called The Ascend, and I've got a variation of it that uses an etching pattern that I kind of derived from some of the artwork on a video game called Skyrim, which has nothing to do with Jedi. Um, but it's just beautiful kind of Norse reminiscent artwork that I've always I really loved Norse artwork. So I've got some etching on that. And so that one really resonates with me. And then I've got another one that I designed back in 2009. That's my my interpretation of a character saber from novels that I read. Drew Carpician wrote Star Wars novels about a character named Darth Bane. And so I created a saber because he didn't have a really great reference. If you looked it up, there wasn't any good images. So I thought, oh, I'm going to create one. And the fans have been great at really resonating with my image. And to this point, if you look up Darth Bane's lightsaber, you'll probably see pictures of my, my design. That one's been so well received by fans that uh, it has a special place in my heart. You know, just because it, when you, when your work is appreciated, you can't help but really relish that I don't know if I have a favorite uh, sound we call them sound fonts I've been building these for the Sabers for over a decade now and so the ones that I worked on 10 years ago there's not as much nuance to them even though I've gone back and added to them the newer ones I just feel are more there's more quality there's more nuance to it I've got a sound font called Rogue, which is long before the movie Rogue One, that I just envisioned as just kind of a rogue Jedi, kind of an off the beaten path. So that was kind of my attempt at making a sound font that would be me if I was a Jedi. So that one uh, I I really like. There's also a, a newer one that I've done called Ashes, which... I always felt with the dark side sound font, I never was able to kind of really achieve that visceral feel that I was looking for uh, until this one. I learned a couple of different techniques and I played a video game where the sounds were really striking to me. So I tried to recreate some of that effect and really kind of capture that feel and I feel like I nailed it with that one. It's called Ashes. So this is that visceral sound font that I was talking about, the Ashes font. Some Easter egg sounds with some Sith. So that's my voice reading the Sith code backwards. Wow, that's so, so I, cool. So it made it sound like some for some hypnotic, dark, ghostly language. Yeah. So that's in there and you can find it. So that's that sound funny, anyway. which I really made with this saber in mind. That's cool. Um, and with this one, it's got. Uh, I only do this on my really high-end ones where you can. The user can take apart a couple components. In this case, it's two. Well, screws, and then you slide the bone segment back. And there's the. Every lightsaber's got a crystal inside. It's part of the lore, and uh, the crystal reacts with, uh, like, with the saber. It's got red because the blade colors red. But if I enter the I enter the color and then I change the blade oh, color, no. the crystal responds and it changes color to whichever, to match whatever the blade color is. That is
2: so cool. Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah, so a lot of uh, a lot of the higher end, more expensive sabers are ones that, you know, they can operate as a shelf queen. Someone can take it apart and they feel more real because they can see the crystal. They can respond to, to kind of the visuals of the inside of the saber. Um, You know, because they've all read the stories of Jedi creating their lightsabers and crafting them and working on these internal parts, so they want to be able to see and interact with that. A couple of years ago, I really resonated with, I always do, the word imagination. And it just, something clicked and I just realized, imagination is one of the most profound human qualities. It affects everything. Every great achievement in human history has started as a work of imagination. All art is a work of imagination. The ability to communicate and identify with nature, which I love, there's elements of imagination. When imagination becomes stretched or challenged, that's a good thing. There's opportunity there. Creativity, everything. It's just like I was really overwhelmed with kind of this revelation of how big a deal imagination is. And then I step back and I look at our current Western culture and I just feel like. Uh, maybe it's post-industrial era we've just kind of got into uh, we value action we value results we put in our time Um, we put imagination in a box and it often doesn't affect our day-to-day i mean i read up this term recently um quiet quitting just the idea of just deciding to phone it in hey i'm not going to put in any more than i need to i'm just this is my day job there's no imagination there there's no life there so i just kind of see it everywhere now you know
0: That was Rob Petka from Genesis Custom Sabers. Now, can you imagine what a motorcycle with no frame and no chassis looks and rides like? We went to visit Mark Truman at EV company ARC to hear all about how they came up with the design of their truly original electric bike, the Vector. And we got to hear what it sounds like too.
3: The project was actually started within the Jaguar Land Rover walls as a sort of secret project. So we would be involved in two types of work stream, one something the company would ask us to do specifically, so for instance you know, designing the James Bond cars for Spectre and uh, we were the first people ever really to land drones on moving vehicles in a meaningful way for a search and rescue vehicle for the Red Cross and then we would also basically do sort of what what we consider the sort of true skunk works type work which is we're working on it no one really knows we're working on it and we had a show that we had to do every year and uh over the 12 months we designed and built an electric motorcycle that no one knew anything about and then when we got to the show we rode it out into the show to all of the board of directors and that's basically how the business uh, started So this is where the bikes will be built you know obviously each bike is sort of hand-built bespoke for the customer you'll see the commissioning suite in a moment sort of colours materials you'll notice differences between this one which has got a sort of traditional carbon fibre weave top and also on the side there on the monocoque so pretty much everything you're looking at is carbon fibre. Yeah so you can see the bikes up on the stand now. You know, they're putting the the integrated motor onto it now. Yeah, so the the build begins. I love this bit. This is like really, you know, this is what you do it all for. This is like the most exciting bit, you know. But apart from riding them, of course, but you know, to actually see them sort of going into production is, uh, yeah, it's fantastic. So I'm just about to start up the Vector now and what you'll hear is us taking it through its startup process. spaceship right yeah <laughs> we just had the guy from wired magazine ride it? and he, he just got off of it and went
0: sounds like a spaceship looks like it should be in trock mark truman there from arc did you know there are over eight thousand satellites currently in orbit around earth have you ever wondered how they all got there at their base just outside milan Lorenzo Ferrario from D-Orbit talked us through a typical launch day at Mission Control.
4: When when it's launch day is always a little little bit of a strange uh, strange day. Uh, Generally launches uh, happen at strange times. So most of the times they don't happen during work hours. So generally a launch day goes like this, that you wake up, you go to work, you don't work all day because if you try to work, but you don't, you can't. So you don't work all day. Uh, Then since At least all of most of the launches that we did so far uh, happened uh, in um, during night it's a good number of people from the company stay in office Uh, we go out for dinner together and then we meet for for launch and then i mean even if it's the sixth or fifth time you see a launch is always a little bit of a of a stress because you can you can imagine that you have your months or something you know when it's the first time years of work that are placed on top of a barely controlled bomb that is barely exploding controllably in a continent far away and everything happens in 10 minutes it's it's a little bit of stress and i don't think you really can get used to it i mean i i am not ashamed to say that i cried a few times but then uh, of course then there are it's like the team, you know, the, the soccer team at the day of the match. There is the operations team. Uh, they are for that day. They are focused completely, like in a car in a zen state, uh, which they don't, they don't go to work. They just come for the launch time because they have to be uh, well rested, of course, and prepared to take over operations. Because what happens is that we we follow the streaming of the from the video that the launch provider gives us. Uh, we follow the launch, and what happens is at some point few minutes or sometimes even an hour after the, the, the takeoff, the lift-off, our carrier is, is released from the launcher. Uh, when that happens, the carrier turns on, because the switches on the carrier uh, tell the computer that uh, the, the release has happened, so everything is turned on, comes to life. And so the satellite, uh, the first thing that it does is it, um, it looks for the sun because it, it's powered by, pan- uh, by solar panels, so sun is life. So it stops any kind of tumbling that was uh, uh, induced by the separation. And then after that, it starts calling ground. So it starts opening a, conne- a, a radio connection, a radio transmission, uh, which we call the beacon. So every few seconds it sends a, you know, uh, I'm here kind of message. And the first time that it passes over one of the hour station which again maybe uh, minutes or sometimes even one hour after uh, after the launch uh, you have again what is called the acquisition of signals or aos that is the tensest tensest moment and i have goosebumps just saying it it's basically you have you can you can imagine that everybody that is at that time which is generally night time i don't know why but generally happens during night everybody that is in the office uh, goes there, on the back of of the control center, just outside, some of the windows, and the team is in the control center, extremely focused, especially on the COM position, because the COM is where you see the spectrum, uh, as recorded by by the antennas, and the only thing you can do at that moment is just wait, Uh, wait and see if uh, if the the spacecraft calls on. Uh, and again boost goosebumps. As soon as you, as you get contact, as soon as you recognize the signal, the dance happens. So you start sending commands, you start receiving telemetry, and at that point you verify what how the satellite is, so if it's, everything is well after a launch, and you start what is called the commissioning of, of the spacecraft. The commissioning is basically the beginning of life. But again, again even if, you're, if any time the Mi-8 launch, still goosebumps, you're just telling it. So. I mean you you you
0: realize that engineers can cry so that was Lorenzo Ferrario from D-Orbit. next we're swapping the real world for the virtual one Actronica are a haptics company and they've developed a wearable vest which allows the user to feel what is happening in a virtual environment including being pelted with fireballs Actronica's Gilles Meyer and Rafael Pajeski told us about their haptics vest, Skinetic, and gave our producer the chance to test it out.
5: The biggest organ in the human body is skin. You have uh, seven different receptors on your skin, and your skin is, depends for whom, but it's about seven kilos. (laughs) So essentially it's huge, you know, it's bigger than your liver, and, and it's always on. In the next 10 years, uh, most interfaces are going to be enriched by some kind of touch feeling, you know. And then, you know, smell, taste are going to come, you know, and, so, and you're going to be totally immersed. You know, this is this is essentially the, the direction of history. Things are going faster. We're able now to give uh, a sense of touch that is pretty close to reality. Until now, we had a problem because the computation speeds were not optimal. So the, the touch is the, the sense on your body that is actually the fastest. So you needed to have response times that were under 10 minutes seconds. And now we, we are, we're able to do that so we can incorporate that sense of touch into interfaces.
6: this is what we call a technological demonstration basically you would be in vr and some avatars uh, will be circulating around you shooting at you throwing fireballs and you uh, so that you can get some different sensations how the, they can feel different which is the biggest selling point of of skinetic is that you can actually make difference between different Gunshots and and fireballs and lasers, which is not necessarily the case for what you have on the market right now.
3: All right, I'm tr- gonna try this on. I mean, it looks like a ski lodge, and there's birds flying over. Okay, I see a a, a person running from a gun. <laughs> Oops, oh, I just felt something. I just yeah, got shot. Yeah. Uh-oh, now yeah, it looks like fireballs. this is gonna be fireballs. Oof, you uh, kind of feel it go around. I feel, I feel it on my back, yeah.
6: Yeah, it means that there's uh, one behind you. You don't even see it, but you know it's there because you got shot from behind.
2: So. All right
3: now we have wind. Now, oh, now it's hailing. The speed is getting <laughs> faster and faster.
6: Oh, and this is... is this the, an like, explosion? This is the
3: last one. Oh, but great. <laughs> oh my gosh. Propagating. I can almost feel a heat. And I know there's no actual heat coming, but it's my brain is doing something. Yeah. Wow. That was an experience.
6: <laughs> In the real world, everything is synchronized. Whenever you grab an object, you would touch the the object, you would most probably feel and see the object and hear at the same time. If you want to provide that immersive experience uh, in the virtual world, you have to be able to do the same because your brain has been trained for the whole life outside of VR. So if you expect your brain to be tricked into thinking that it's a new reality you need to respect the same laws and the law would be that synchronization of visual sound and, and haptics.
0: That was Gilles Meyer and Rafael Pajeski there from Actronica. Now it's easy to assume that we live in a completely mobile world but in fact over three billion people don't have access to motorized transport. And this means farmers can face dangerous and difficult journeys when trying to take produce to market. However, one UK company is aiming to change all that by renting out space in their custom made electric vehicles. Natalie Dowsett and Christiana Hamilton from Ox Delivers told us about the extraordinary difference their Ox trucks are making in Rwanda.
2: So, currently, we're here in the workshop at Ox. This is where the magic happens, where we are working on our prototype vehicles. Um, We have been working on an electric truck that is purpose-built for emerging markets, so ensuring that people like potato farmers in places like Rwanda are able to get their potatoes to the market. This is changing lives because people are able to increase their incomes, so we have... um, so many customers that have told us stories about how they struggled to transport their goods because they were only able to either carry them themselves or push them on a push bike which instantly limits how much you can carry and how far so having access to motorized transport which they didn't previously have means that they aren't restricted in the same ways
7: So the truck that we're looking at now, here, um, is our fully functional first ground-up prototype called Ox2. Uh, So the truck itself is actually wrapped in our branding colours, which is uh, a sort of mustard yellow and white, and it's clear uh, on the side of the truck that we are aiming to drive positive zero emission impacts because it is 100% electric. Yeah, so it's an absolutely fantastic project to work on an amazing vehicle, and the mission itself and what we're trying to do is really impactful and empowering. Uh, So if you'd like, we can uh, go for a drive in it now if you want. Some of the main sort of engineering principles that we've tried to follow as we've designed the truck is keeping everything as simple as possible. So if you look at the dashboard, you can see that it's, it's not made out of really complex materials or any form of composite or plastic, it's actually basic aluminium framing that is uh, easy to manufacture and cheap to manufacture, but it still provides easy access to stuff like your uh, drive neutral reverse buttons, all of your um, switch gear was specifically chosen so that it was easy to use and understand, as well as having a an HMI system, so a human machine interface that is effective ergonomically.
2: My last trip to Rwanda, I met a banana trader in one of the rural markets. She would have to travel to another rural market to buy her stock. And then to get home, because it was too far for her to walk with her stock, she would have to hitch a ride, essentially, um, on a passing bus or a passing cement lorry. Um, So she would have to wait at the side of the road to do that. And that could take up to three days. So in that time, she is sleeping by the side of the road with her with her stock, and she has to stay with her stock so it doesn't get stolen. Um, she is pretty unsafe at, at the side of the road for up to three days, but also she's not she's she's not earning any income in that time because her market store was empty. Um, so that is wasted productive time. Now she uses our our service. And so she is able she's now able to one, not have to sleep by the side of the road, which is of course very important to keep someone safe. But also she's able she's been able to increase her incomes because she's not taking the time out to travel to the rural market. We can just go and pick up the the stock for her. But also she is able to diversify her stock. So she wasn't limited by how much she could carry on on a passing truck or bus, and also not limited to which market she went to. So she's been able to diversify and increase her incomes, whilst also staying safe and sleeping at home.
0: Now that was Natalie Dowsett and Christiana Hamilton from Ox Delivers. Continued thanks to all the inspiring people and companies we feature on The Third Angle. I hope you enjoyed listening to some of the best bits so far. And if you haven't already, why not listen back to our catalogue of previous episodes, available on the PTC website or wherever you get your podcasts. This is an 1860 production for PTC. Executive producer is Jackie Cook. Sound design and editing by Clarissa Maycock and music by Rowan Bishop.